0: Please take out your Bibles and turn in them to Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 16. We're going to read for our passage today the very same passage that we read last week, and that is all of Exodus chapter 16. Uh, even though we will only talk about part, it's good for us to hear the Word of God in its context in the way that it is presented for us so we can hear the whole chapter Again, this is the story of of God providing for his people manna in the wilderness, in the midst of their wilderness wanderings. And it's a well-known story, and and the more I read it and the more I study it throughout the week, the more impressed I am that this is such a rich passage for us, that we could spend many more weeks, if we were so inclined, in just this story and not run out of good lessons and encouragements. Uh, things that point us to Christ, teach us about him, all from this chapter. So let's read our passage together here, Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 1. And please, if you're able, join me in standing as we show our reverence for the reading of the word of God. Exodus 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Sin which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew lay around the camp, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? They did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. "'Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. "'You shall each take an omer, "'according to the number of persons "'that each of you has in his tent.' "'And the people of Israel did so. "'They gathered, some more, some less, "'but when they measured it with an omer, "'whoever gathered much had nothing left over, "'and whoever gathered little had no lack. "'Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. "'And Moses said to them, "'Let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left parts of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, "'This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord.' "'Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, "'and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning.' "'So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them. "'And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. "'Moses said, "'Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. "'Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none.' On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long have you the commanded the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain you in his place, let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its name Anna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may eat of with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land. said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years. Till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan, and Omer is a tenth part of an ephah. Father, we are thankful again for your word, which shows us the character of our God, which makes us wise, teaches us the path of holiness, guides us in the way that is right. We are thankful that you have promised to give your spirit. So that we may read it and we may understand it. For it's the work of your spirit to take your word and apply it to us. To teach us, to open the eyes of our heart that we might read, and that we might understand, and that we might receive it. That we might treasure it. That we might practice it in our lives. Father, may we not be like the man who looks in a mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. May we instead take your word to heart. May we hear the message that you have for your people today. Teach us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. As we get into this passage, there's there's three lessons that a passage like this has for us. And I want us to hear and I want us to learn three things. Three things. And they kind of go in the appropriate order that we have to receive them. The first thing we learn when we read a passage like this, is just the face value lesson of this story, that God provides for his people in the wilderness. The face value lesson of this story is that God provides for his people in the wilderness, and therefore, we can trust him. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will not abandon his people when they're in the wilderness, when they are suffering, when they are complaining and and grumbling God provides for his people in the wilderness some of us really identify with a story like this because on our own level we feel that we are in the wilderness we feel that God has led us into a wilderness and therefore we hear a story like this and it simply speaks directly to our hearts and says do not fear God is a God who provides for his people in the wilderness he gives them water to drink. He gives them bread to eat. He gives them meat and the quail that comes on the camp in the wilderness in the evening and in the next chapter. God gives water to his people again who are in the wilderness. So there is a very clear lesson. It's almost an obvious lesson, but nothing is obvious to our, our broken hearts. We need to hear this lesson of this passage. God provides for his people. Walking with the Lord is not always easy. Walking with the Lord does entail being led into the wilderness. It does entail temptation, to grumble, to complain. And yet the lesson is God provides for us. He is trustworthy. He is good. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is related to this, but we are to read a passage like this and not just get the face value lesson, but to see behind that the character of our God. We see the character of the God who provides for his people in the wilderness. We learn that he is loving, that he is faithful, that he's generous, that he's good. We learn that he is the kind of God who, who can listen to his children grumble against him and respond by promising that he is going to rain bread from heaven on them. That's merciful, that's generous, that's kind. This is a God who who repays our sin against him with his mercy towards us. God provides for his people because he is, in fact, a good and loving father. He wants his people to survive. We saw this last week when we were looking at the first few verses where it says that when they were to see the manna that the Lord provided, it said they were to see the glory of the Lord. They were to look on the things, the bread, the quail that he provided for him and to see more than that. They were not simply to see the food. They were to see the character of God in his gifts. He gives them bread and he says, you will look and you will know that it was the Lord who redeemed you out of Egypt. And you will look and you will see the glory of the Lord. So in every provision that God provides for his people, there is a lesson. In every provision, there is a lesson. They're meant not only to eat, they're meant to understand. This is part of God's discipleship of his people, forming their character. So they're not just eating, they're meant to learn. Learn the lesson of the provision, and that is to know something of the nature and the character of God. They're to know his guidance. They're to see and, and begin to appreciate his providence. To, to take into consideration this big picture This is what God has done in redeeming us. And yes, he's led us into the wilderness. And yes, this is difficult and we're tempted to grumble. But we also see he provides for us in the wilderness. And when we see that, we're to see the glory of the Lord and begin to therefore love him. To see his character and to love him for who he is and for how he leads his people. So we see the lesson that God provides for us. We see the deeper lesson about who God is. But third, there's an even deeper lesson that we're supposed to learn from a passage like this, that it points us to Christ. Now, this is a, a passage that very clearly points us to Christ, who is the bread of life, who is the true bread that comes down from heaven. Now, we can't miss this connection because Jesus himself, makes it for us in John chapter 6. And, and when we get to the end today, we're going to read that together to make sure we don't miss it. But Jesus says, I am the true bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so Jesus says, if we're going to understand this story about God providing manna, we have to learn more than just God provides and more than just his character, but we are also to learn that he provides Christ, the true life. Right? Moses even said in Deuteronomy, reflecting on this, he says uh, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I, I can't tell you how often as a kid I thought this was some kind of nutritional lesson. Right? You don't just need your grains and your bread, you need your fruit, your vegetables. It's not bread alone, you need meat and dairy. That's not what that means. When it says man does not live by bread alone, Bread means food. Man does not live by food alone. You say, well, kind of, we do know. He's saying, if you are living by food alone, you have the physical nourishment you need. So, so sure, you stay alive. But, he says, that's not true life. That's not true life at all. That's just physical life. But true life is the life that comes from Christ. Who is the bread of life? Who is the true bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world? Jesus looks at a story like God providing manna. And he says, the lesson to learn is to put our trust in Christ. To put our trust in Christ, the true bread that God provides for the life of the world. And so there's sort of two lessons. That's three, but we can break it down into two and say, here's the two points. First, the story is about the bread. But second, it's about so much more than just the bread that God provides. It is about bread and also so much more. If we look at the way, I want us to look today at the way that God provides for his people and what it is and, and what he does and three things that describe God's provision. Three things. First, his provision for his people is miraculous. Second, it's sufficient. And third, it is daily. And this is God's provision for his people here in Exodus 16, and we'll see that it's his provision for us, our lives, and it's his provision through Christ as well. It's it's miraculous, it's sufficient, and it's daily. First of all, let's understand that in this passage of God providing manna, God provides for his people in a way that is miraculous. Miraculous. And I want you to know that when I'm using that word here, that I'm using it sort of in the theological sense in the strictly theological sense of an event in which God acts, as he's free to do, outside of ordinary, natural means by which he usually sustains the world. So God has a set of ordinary and natural means, his providence, by which he ordinarily sustains the world. Day by day, he sustains everything. He he sustains the world. He gives us breath by natural means, but to act in a miraculous way is to work outside of the natural means. So, to give an example, we sometimes will talk about the birth of a baby being just just a miracle. Now, that's how we use it in sort of the everyday language. That's our common sort of informal sense. And and really, what we mean by that is that it's it's amazing. It's awe inspiring. Maybe we even mean we don't quite understand how it all works. But to be quite precise in the theological term would say, well, it's not a miracle. Giving birth to a baby is a perfectly natural event. It has happened billions of times. It is how God has designed that the human race will carry on. It It is the means that God has created and designed in his wisdom for the propagation of the race. It's perfectly natural. That is how God designed humans to work. So it's, it's amazing, but we would strictly say, theologically speaking, that's not a miracle. We can understand the process. But a miracle is when God chooses to work outside of natural means. Sometimes he even works against natural means with an event or an action that we truly cannot understand, we cannot replicate. It is supernatural. Things like walking on water, Turning a river into blood, sustaining a widow and her son with a small amount of oil and flour, raising someone from the dead, or feeding a nation for forty years in the wilderness by causing bread to rain down from heaven—these are supernatural events. This is miraculous care of God's for His of God for His people, in which He is caring for them not by natural means but by supernatural means. And the reason I say this and make a point out of it is because there are, are plenty of people. Who will try to explain it by means of natural descriptions? They will try to find some natural phenomenon which is similar, and so it's actually really fun to read the commentaries on this. Some people write, "This is my favorite, perhaps, that that this dew, this this manna, is." They write that there is such a thing in the wilderness of Sinai as a liquid honeydew excretion of a number of of cicadas, lice, and scaly insects that speedily solidifies by rapid evaporation. And from remote times, the resulting sticky and often granular masses have been collected and called manna. So some people will say what God has done is, is feed his people with lice excretions And all they had to do was pick it up, and they said, hmm, that's not bad. We can eat this. Others have have described that, they say, well, particularly in rainy years, the tamarisk bush, indigenous to arid areas, is invaded by a species of plant louse, that's lice, and the insect sucks the sap and transforms the carbohydrates into a variety of high fructose products, which are secreted through the body. I'm not going to draw you a picture but they are secreted through the body and they fall to the ground as small drops and crystallize into small white pellets which can be consumed like sugar or honey and they melt in the sun. So, we're talking about the excrement of lice. And some would say that is simply what the Israelites have found and mistakenly attributed that to the Lord. Or some would would go further and say, well, God has just designed that, that lice would do this in order to feed his people. Now, I am as, as fascinated and as interested in, in lice secretions as the next guy. But that is not what is going on in Exodus chapter 16. These explanations just don't hold up. First of all, each of them assume that, that what's going on is a known activity. Whereas the very first thing Israel does when they see it is they say, what is this? Right? They're trying to make it known, but the text very clearly tells us it's unknown, that they haven't seen anything like this before. It, their very first words are, What is it? In fact, that is what manna means. Manna means, What is it? That's how clever they were in naming this new food. It's also true that, that these lice are, are seasonal, right? It happens, it, it does happen that, that lice secrete things that people have been known to eat, but it only happens for a few weeks each year. Whereas what we read here is that God provided manna for his people 40 years day in and day out, every single day for 40 years throughout their wilderness wanderings. Moreover, they cannot explain the purely miraculous fact that five days out of the week, the manna could not be kept overnight. It would breed worms and stink. But on the sixth day, it could be kept till the seventh day without breeding worms. And that pattern repeated perfectly for 40 years. Five days of the week, you had to eat it in the morning because it would breed worms. On the sixth day, you could keep it till the seventh day. What God has done for his people here is miraculously and supernaturally make provision for them in the wilderness where there is nothing to eat, where there is no sustenance for his poor, weary people, where there is no food, where they are complaining because they're truly hungry, and God says, Don't worry. I can feed you in the wilderness for 40 years. We read that God also made it so that their clothes didn't wear out, their feet did not swell, even though they were walking in the wilderness for 40 years, that he provided for them, and he took care of them in such a way that that they could survive. And and I wonder if it's also true that, that he made it so that they didn't get tired of manna for 40 years. In fact, we read a couple different descriptions throughout Uh, the first five books of the Bible of what the manna was like, and there's different descriptions of what it tasted like. So some of the Jewish rabbis over the years have perhaps wondered if if God changed the taste of it over time because he wanted not just to, to care for the bare necessities of the people that they had food, but he wanted them to like it. He didn't want them to get tired of it, so he would occasionally change the taste. The Bible doesn't say that specifically, but the descriptions are different. And it does point to who God is, that that he cares for his people. This is the story of a God who has absolutely all the power in heaven and earth at his disposal. And who is more than willing to use that power for the good of his people. And if that means he's going to just rain bread from heaven, that comes down and and falls on the ground like frost, but, but then the frost kind of evaporates and there's bread, then he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll provide for them. He is willing to move heaven and earth in order to care for his people. And do you remember what the people are like? Grumbling, sour, forgetful, longing for those good old days in Egypt before God had interfered. They're miserable, but God is merciful. They're grumbling, and God is gracious. That gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a lot of hope that even in my life, God will be the same way. This God who has all the resources of heaven and earth, who has bread in heavenly places, can provide whatever our needs may be. It reminds me in its way of Romans 5.8. that says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet in rebellion against God, grumbling with our whole lives against him, he would give for us the most gracious, most merciful, most generous thing he could do to send his very son to die on our behalf. Because we don't just deserve less than God gives. We deserve the opposite of what God gives. But he is merciful. He's generous. And he gives even miraculously. Why? I believe it's because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to come to him in prayer with our needs. He wants us to know that, that he is the God who provides and that all we have to do is ask. Ask and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Seek and you will find. God loves to give bread to his children. We haven't even mentioned that that in the evening he provided an all-you-can-eat quail buffet covering the ground. All they had to do was go pick up a quail for dinner. He gave so generously to this people. There's this great psalm psalm 78 <clears throat> psalm 78 is a, a psalm reflecting on what god has done for his people and i want to read part of it psalm 78 the question it asks in the in the beginning is this can god spread a table in the wilderness that's verse 19 they spoke against god this is the grumbling can god spread a table in the wilderness can he yes yes he can spread a table in the wilderness. Look at verse 24. Starting 23, He commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. This is what God does. He gives them the bread of angels to eat. Verse 26, He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens and by His power He let out the south wind He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He is reflecting on it as we are to do and just marveling at this God who provides so lavishly and so abundantly for all his people. Well, I've got a little helper coming to see me. Hey, sweet little one. Are you my helper for today? Come here. Hey, Christian, why don't you go see your mama? Well, oh, it's a good thing he's so cute. <laughs> now here's the question of Psalm 78. Why does God do this? Why, why has he rained the bread of heaven and given us the bread of angels to eat? Look back at verses 5 through 7, he tells us. Verse 5 He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know him, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The psalmist here, he's reflecting on God's provision in Exodus 16 of the works of God, and he says, This is so that our children might learn to set their hope in God. That they will hear about what God has done for the Israelites. They'll read this story of God providing bread and manna in the wilderness and they will learn the lesson to learn to set their hope in God. We are so prone to set our hope on all sorts of other things, aren't we? We are so prone to set our hope on what our hands can provide for ourselves so prone to set our hope on what we can do, on what seems likely, on whether others will come to our aid. And this psalm says, reflect on the story of Exodus 16, that you can learn the lesson to set your hope on God. His provision is miraculous. His provision is also sufficient, and I want us to see this. Do you believe that God's provision in your life is sufficient? You believe that his provision is sufficient. I think the reality is that most of us, one way or the other, ask that question. Probably every week. Maybe more often. Whether we use those exact words or not, in some way our lives ask the question, Is God sufficient? Because if I follow him, if I obey, if I do what I know is right, there's going to be sacrifice involved. There's going to be loss involved. There's going to be something else that the Lord calls me to sacrifice this or the other so that I can obey, so that I can follow God. There's, there's trade-offs. Something is going to have to die. Maybe it's my pride that's going to have to die. Maybe it's certain relationships, certain professional opinions, certain financial sacrifices. Something is going to be lost. And so the question we ask, when we ask, is obedience worth it? We're simply asking this question. Is God sufficient? Can he provide in a way that is sufficient to life? Will God be sufficient? And this passage of the manna in Exodus 16 makes a really big deal out of the fact that his provision was completely and fully and in every way sufficient for the needs of the people, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't... Manna, I don't know, I don't know. Manna to me doesn't sound real promising at first. It's kind of like dew, this very thin, flaky thing. I'm not tempted for it yet, but God makes a big deal in this passage that it's totally sufficient, that no one went hungry, that each one gathered as much as he needed. Whatever this this thin, flaky thing was like, it was sufficient for them. It was sufficient. In fact, look at verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in your tent. So, on the one hand, it's telling us the exact amount in omer. That's a a measurement. But he also says, As the people of Israel did so, they gathered some more, some less. But when they had measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, there seems to me to be another aspect of God's miraculous provision here because he tells them to gather it by the measurement of the omer. But he also tells them, as much as you can eat, whatever you want, it's provided for you. And, and those who have a huge appetite and they gathered a lot, it says they didn't have too much. And those who, who were dainty and, and eat like, like little chickens, they gathered what they wanted and it says it wasn't too little. God provided for each person, each Israelite, in such a way that they were perfectly taken care of. And he perfectly gave them what was sufficient for their needs. Some gathered more, some gathered less. But, but don't you see what God is doing here? God is putting his people through the school of trusting God. He is acting very intentionally to train Israel, and, and therefore to train our hearts as well, how to trust the Lord how to be willing to, to listen and obey, right? Kids, how to, listen, how to learn to submit to the Lord. We were talking about this in our communicants class today, what it means to submit. And God is teaching them that you can submit, you can listen and obey the Lord because he provides whatever you need, he provides. And he, he shows himself totally trustworthy, totally and perfectly trustworthy in providing for them. He wants to teach them that they can trust him. Why? They got 40 years left in the wilderness. There's more trials to come. There's more temptations to come. And so, they're starting here with manna 101. God provides and you can trust him to do so. God's provision will be sufficient for your life. Do you worry that if you follow the Lord that he will somehow let you down? That somehow it won't be enough. Something will go wrong. You have to take matters into your own hands. You're the only one who can supply your needs. This passage says no. See how the Lord cares for his children. See what he does for them. His provision was always sufficient. No one had any lack, regardless of how much they gathered. This is why the prayer that we read in Proverbs chapter 30, where where there's a prayer that says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Neither poverty nor riches. If I have too much, I may forget the Lord. If I have too little, I may steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. You see, the beauty of God's perfect provision for his people is that he answers that prayer. Even if you don't pray it, he answers it for you. Or don't, don't give us too much. If you do that, we may forget you. We may trust in ourselves. But, but Lord, don't let us go hungry. Don't give us too little. I think what God often does is to put us, to put his people in a situation where we're forced to rely on him. That may not feel good at first to be in that situation where you have nowhere else to turn, but but there is a lesson that he wants to teach his people. He's not doing that to be mean. He does that because he loves his children. He wants to see his children grow to maturity. To know what it is to trust that God provides. To know that God provides. It's similar to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And here we see it's not just provision of food, but Paul says in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, writing to the Corinthian church about what he has suffered, he says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, here's what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says, I want you to know how burdened we were utterly beyond our strength. God had brought us into a situation where we had no hope of taking care of ourselves. It was not in our abilities or in our strength to do so. But this was God's purpose of doing that, to make us not rely on ourselves, but to make us rely on God." Isn't that what he's doing with the Israelites? He has brought them here beyond their strength. They have no ability to provide for themselves. And he did that intentionally, that they might learn to rely on God, not on themselves, on God who raises the dead. See, it's part of God's grace to his children that he makes us weak, that he puts us in situations that are beyond ourselves that we might learn not to rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. It's miraculous. It's sufficient. It's daily. It's daily provision. It's sufficient but it's not too much. He doesn't give more than is necessary for the day. Again, he wants them to learn dependence. Daily dependence. Every day to trust the Lord for his provision. And I know how hard our hearts are Kick against this goad how badly we don't want to have to recognize and, and to admit that we are fully dependent on God for his provision we want to be independent we don't want to need people and that is part of why God begins the training of his people with 40 years of daily manna 40 years living like this daily receiving God's provision daily manna meant every morning God would provide his people with enough food for that day And every night, they would go to bed, and the fridge would be empty. But they would wake up in the morning to God's new mercies. The fridge would be empty at night, and they would wake up in the morning with new mercies all around. He makes the provision for the Sabbath, right? That on on Friday, they could gather two days' worth, and it would stay through Saturday, because God is, is kind and he's fair and he wants them to be able to keep his commandments. But, but every other day, the provisions were given on the days itself. There were no barns. There were no deep freezers. Right? The lesson here is the lesson from Lamentations, that his mercies are new every morning and that God doesn't always give us the mercies that we need for the entire week at one time. But he gives them every day every day. He doesn't give us what we need today to face the trials of next week, but he'll give them on the day. Isn't this what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. We pray this because God is still at work forming us, forming a people for himself who who know what it is to trust him, who know what it is to be dependent upon him, who are growing in thankfulness and ingratitude for the list of ways that God shows himself faithful that he might receive the glory daily we receive the daily bread he receives the daily glory god's mercies are new every morning again this is why why paul will say that when he talks about the thorn that god gave him do you remember Paul talks about this. Paul himself was a man of of amazing giftedness who played this enormous role in in the beginning days of the the early church and and accomplished so much. But he also says that the Lord gave him a thorn, some difficulty, we don't know what it was, some thorn to keep him from being conceited, to keep him dependent on the Lord. And he says the Lord gave that to him graciously because he wanted him to learn that God's grace is, is made perfect in our weakness. Right, That his grace is sufficient. Therefore, Paul says, he will boast all the more gladly of his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on him. And he says, with this, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. You see, the kind of people that God delights to use are those who know their own weaknesses, who know their own insufficiencies, who know their limitations, and, and therefore become fully dependent on the Lord because when we are weak, then we are strong. As human people, we want so badly to be omni-competent, to be able to, to master everything that we need to be able to do, to not have needs, to not have insufficiencies. And God says, actually, the kind of people he loves to work with the most are the weakest. Because when we are weak, he is strong, and his power is made perfect, not in our strength. It's not made perfect in our competence. It's made perfect in our dependence, in our trust, in our learning to receive new mercies every morning, and to be willing to go to bed every night with the fridge empty and say, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. God God may not have you right now, on a daily manna diet. But he might. He might. I I was struck again last night as part of our conversation at the marriage conference that the conversation turned to the difficulties of marriage and the difficulties of parenting and our own inadequacies to the things that God has called us to. And yet, God in His grace makes us weak even in these areas that his power might be made perfect through our weakness. We want so badly to be strong. God makes us weak. Now, the provision he gives us is the bread of life. The provision that God gives to his people is the bread of life. Here's what's so interesting, and this is John chapter 6. Christ identifies himself as the bread that God gives He himself is the gift that God gives to his people every morning. And and this is why that's so interesting, because in Exodus, God has provided bread miraculously for the Israelites who were in the wilderness and who were hungry. In John, Jesus has provided bread miraculously for the Israelites who were in the wilderness and who were hungry. God did it, Jesus did it. But when, when he draws the lesson, he doesn't say, "'See, God did it, I did it, therefore I'm God.'" Now, that's true, but what he says, God provided bread, I'm the bread. It's not that he's the God who gives it. What he says is, I want you to learn, I'm actually, I'm the bread. I am that which God gives for your life and for the life of the world. I am the miraculous provision that God gives for his people. I am the perfectly sufficient provision that God gives for his people. I am the daily provision provision that God gives for the life of his people see the story of manna is not just about the manna it's not just about the bread that God gave to feed people what a mundane need they had to eat and God fulfilled it but it's to point us to the far greater provision not the physical bread but the bread of life Jesus himself that God would look on his weary people in the wilderness of this world and he would see their grumbling and he would know what they needed not just bread Because you eat bread and you die. They needed true bread. Living bread. They needed Christ. We need Christ. And Jesus says that what your heart needs day by day by day is Christ. The true bread that comes down from heaven. And I I read this in Exodus 16 where it says, a a day's portion every day. Gather a day's portion every day. And I want to say to us, what we need is to go to Jesus and to gather from him a day's portion every day to receive his grace for our lives, to receive his mercy, to receive his life, and to say, it is going to be okay to be weak. It is okay to be poor because we have Christ every morning. Every day, his mercies are made new for his people. Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we give you thanks for, for Jesus, for our Savior, for the true bread of life that you have given to us when we are hungry in the wilderness. Lord, we, we, we struggle, we grumble, we're needy people, and you love to provide for our needs. So Father, would you, by the power of your Spirit, Give us a hunger for Christ. Give us a, a desire then to wake every day and, and search for a day's portion of Christ, to receive his, his new mercies every day. Would you care for us as you have always been faithful to do? And Lord, Lord may we learn the lesson to trust in our good God. It's in the name of Christ, we would pray. Amen.